I remember standing beside my grade school desk every morning, hand over my heart, and with my classmates reciting the Pledge of Allegiance. I was very young and enamored with school, all things school, and gloried in learning all the rules and processes and procedures, the voluminous ways of the world that were being taught to me, opened up to me in the early grade school experience. How, how hungry I was to learn, to learn everything there was ever in the world to learn, and how I trusted the adults and the system charged with teaching it all to me. How naive and trusting I was. I didn't realize that my black classmates were entering a far different world than I, and that they were perhaps not as excited about it all as I was. I would only gradually come to learn about that in bits and pieces it took me some time to put together. My parents, well-intentioned though they were, tried to help me understand about justice and equality, but their own prejudice seeped in and it was all very confounding. I remember a time after I began to learn the fuller scope of ra racial prejudice, asking my mom, perplexed, why anyone would discriminate against people because of the color of their skin. They can't help what kind of skin they were born with, I argued with righteous indignation. I find it interesting that I don't recall her response, but I know I was never appeased. As I grew older, I continued to try to make sense of it all. Though I believe we recited the Pledge of Allegiance every morning through at least the fourth grade, at some point I began to think of the immensity of the words. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. A nation indivisible and with liberty and justice for all. It must be true, we said it every morning, it must be true. About a third of the students in my grade school were people of color. In junior high, there were no black students. In high school, we once again became a diverse group. But in high school, there were already beginning to be deep tears in the fabric of equal justice in our small town as well as throughout the country. And though my family were not social justice activists, I was leaning in that direction. And though I have been more and less active in the causes of social justice, I have never leaned in any other direction. After learning of racial injustice, I learned of gender injustice. The church we attended, when we attended church, taught me that a woman was lesser than my father and two brothers, and that I should, for instance, remain silent in church. And going back to my grade school years, after the third grade, all the girls in the school had to wear skirts or dresses every day no pants or jeans, no matter how cold it was out. 
And then because we were wearing dresses, we were restricted from using much of the playground equipment. Can you say incensed? And throughout the rest of my school experience in Elkhart, Indiana, I was not ever allowed to wear pants. To this day, I refuse to wear anything but pants <laughs> unless I had a clerical robe for special church services. Yes, I do not even own a dress. But that's a small item in the larger scheme of things and throughout the decades of my life I have been interested and often active in larger issues of the day. Racism, poverty, homelessness, violence and guns, all of these have held much of my interest and concern and some of my energy, which brings me to today. I am glad we are going to the MICA public meeting today. The Memphis Interfaith Coalition for Action and Hope with 92 member organizations throughout Memphis works on all of these issues in one way or another. And while the extent of my effort with MICA has waned some over the past several years, I am ready to get started again. I am also glad we will likely be housing the homeless overnight in the cold of winter again this year through Reedy or Room in the Inn. The reason, I, the reason I am a minister in the Unitarian Universalist Church rather than, say, the United Church of Christ is because service is our prayer, and that matters to me, though I sometimes must be reminded of it. I get tired and discouraged, just like you, and need to be nudged sometimes to live up to my beliefs, to our principles. Feel free to nudge if you think it necessary. And maybe I could nudge you occasionally as well. Because our state and our country are headed in dangerous directions, I think, and it frightens me. We've had political ventures and political actors that border on the insane, and that only seems to be increasing. We've had a wide and growing division between the ide ideologies of liberals and conservatives, and violence both has occurred and is a viable and possibly growing threat. The biggest threat, though, may be the threat of our freedoms being taken away from us. Blogger Sherry Schultz lists some of the freedoms at risk. Voter suppression and the freedom to vote. The freedom to choose whom we can marry. Freedom from government intervention into our private lives. Freedom for women to choose regarding their own bodies. Freedom to unionize. And I would add freedom for all to receive full medical care, freedom for our children to be fully educated regarding all of our nation's history, and the freedom for them to read books, all books. Our rights are being eroded by, religious, by religion in some cases and certainly by greed in many cases. And it is imperative for us to fight these erosions 
I once said how furious I would be as a young person to graduate from high school only to learn that I was never taught the true and full story of racism in our country. That is our history. It is to some extent our present. And children have the right to know, they have the need to know if it isn't to become our future. The freedom from gun violence is another freedom we have lost and apparently have no will to change. At least many of our politicians don't. We all know that the NRA, the National Rifle Association, contributes to the campaigns of those politicians they feel will keep at the forefront of American life guns. We've seen our own government in Nashville just this week struggle largely unsuccessfully for safer gun laws after the Covenant school shooting last March, which killed three nine-year-olds and three adults. The right to bear arms must be protected, it seems, at all costs. But what about the freedom from fear of attending public events, of walking down the street, of, shop, of stopping for gas, of driving on the freeway, the freedom of our children to attend school safely and without fear? and books, the banning of books. Books are where our history resides, where our imaginations are stimulated, where we learn of other people, other ideas, other philosophies and religions. Books enlarge us and our world to infinite degrees. You would ban them? Well, yes, because some people don't want our children or their worlds enlarged, I guess. Classics have been banned, like To Kill a Mockingbird, Steinbeck's Of Mice and Men, The Bluest Eye and Beloved, both by Toni Morrison, winner of the Nobel and Pulitzer Prizes. Beloved was inspired by the tragic true life story of a person escaping slavery in the 1850s and the dramatic choices she made when she was caught. The Bluest Eye is a novel about a black girl who believes she is ugly and would be beautiful if only she had blue eyes. Many, many books have been banned because they have offensive language, scenes of violence or sex, issues of racism, justice, poverty, and addiction, and newer books having to do with gender identity and young people trying to figure out who they are and how to make their way through life. Do these schools and parents really believe their children are not getting much of the same material from friends, from social media, from the internet, from television, and maybe even from their own lives and experiences. One book that was banned was a children's book entitled Entangle Makes Three by Justin Richardson and Peter Parnell. It is based on the real life story of two male chinstrap penguins, Roy and Silo, who formed a bond at the Central Park Zoo in New York City. 
after zookeepers saw the pair trying to hatch a rock as if it were an egg, they gave the penguin couple their own egg. Roy and Silo subsequently raised the chick, Tango, as their own. This book came out in 2005 and was, subjected, and was subject to five bans during the 2021-2022 school year. A true story about seemingly gay penguins who wanted to raise a chick. Isaac Asimov said, any book worth banning is a book worth reading. <laughs> and author Mildred D. Taylor said, although there are those who wish to ban my books because I have used language that is painful, I have chosen to use the language that was spoken during the period, for I refuse to whitewash history. The language was painful and life was painful for many African-Americans, including my family. Let us not take history from our children. Let us not take imagination from our children or poetry or books of wonder and learning. Let us not impose our own insecurities and prejudices upon the minds of our children only to further the trail of insecurity and prejudice. And friends, about all of the other infringements on our rights as free citizens, as free citizens, let us lift up our voices, share conversations and ideas, even with those by whom we are put off, and do the marches and the fundraising and write the letters needed to protect the civil liberties of us all. And let us do what we can to get out the vote in upcoming elections. That is likely our most powerful tool, our most powerful weapon, getting out the vote. A great and necessary service. And let us never forget that service is our prayer. Amen. Um, yeah.